The Boise Bubble Podcast is brought to you in partnership with Speak Studios and Speak Boise. Speak Boise is a community-driven studio space where voices from all walks of life can speak and be heard. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook at Speak Studios, Speak Boise, and at their website, speakstudios.com. Speak Studios, speak and be heard. Hello, friends. Do you need help finding a place to live in the Treasure Valley? If so, you're out of luck. We can't help with that. But do you know what's not in short supply and overpriced? A Volkswagen Jetta. Volkswagen of Boise has them in stock today. And unlike a home, even a single-income family can afford the classy comfort of a nimble little Jetta. Stop by today for an experience completely devoid of price wars that result in you offering over asking price and overextending yourself. Volkswagen, guaranteed not to leave you house poor. Need something to distract you from the MLS? Go to www.volkswagenboise.com. This is the Boise Bubble Podcast, where we talk all things Treasure Valley. We're your hosts, Shane and Natalie Plummer. Welcome back to the conversation. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back, Natalie. Hey. And thank you for our guest, Mark Anderson. How are you today? Good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's awesome. A lot of people don't know that the Treasure Valley is home to a lot of celebrities. People that have broken out of the you know, our arid highlands area to a more national scene. And so I thought it might be fun to bring some of these people on, starting with you from the Grill Dads. That's a very flattering liberal use of the word celebrity, <laughs> but I appreciate it and I'll take it. I'll give it all day long. So for those people who don't know you, let's just start with a little synopsis of uh, your history. Um, you start in an interesting place and you ended up in seems like a very different place, but maybe it's not so different as I might thought. So, uh, I mean, within the Food Network thing, you know, my buddy, who's my co-host, when he's not here, I refer to him as my sidekick, so I'll do that today. <laughs> um, he's not here to defend himself. Exactly. That's when I, that's when I go for the jugular. Mm -hmm. So uh, he and I were running an advertising agency in California. Sorry, I, I lived there. Um, <laughs> and uh, as the agency grew, it was doing really well. I mean, when I started there, you know, he was one of the founders. My wife and I were partners there. You know, we grew from 11 people to 120, 130 people. Wow. Huge blow up. And when that happened, everything that we were doing that was creative really became more running a business. So cash forecasting, you know, customer relations. And we weren't doing the fun stuff anymore that you get to do as a young person in an ad agency. And we both loved to cook and we were doing it. You know, we were doing guest executive restaurant takeovers, guest executive chef, restaurant takeovers, um, coming up with menus and selling these things out with seatings in advance. And we we're having fun with it. And we're like, hey, maybe the next step is to buy or start a restaurant. Um, my dad was uh, worked for a bank in commercial loans for 38 years and told me if I opened a restaurant, he would disown me. <laughs> and uh, what he said to me is the lucky ones fail quick. Um, I've heard similar statistics that yep. like the success rate of restaurants is the lowest of almost any business. Yeah. And the, the pandemic really shined a light on that. Right. So, I mean, a lot of these really good restaurants are doing a net profit of 4%. And then you get like a DoorDash or somebody who comes in and dictates these high fees. They're taking a loss on a dish just because they, they feel like they shouldn't not be on DoorDash because they feel like they won't be relevant. So anyway, all sorts of problems there, but, um, you know, so we decided not to do that. And, um, while my wife was pregnant with my son, who's now six years old, 
uh, has long hair, plays the drums, and fell off his bike yesterday. So a lot yeah. of a lot different than six years ago. Yeah, we have seven year old. We're right there with. Yeah. Him. <laughs> so, um, so you know, we're we used to cook on the grill all the time. We do Thanksgiving for sixty people, cook everything on the grill. So, you know, I just said to Faye, I was like, hey, let's let's create. Originally, it was going to be almost like a cooking blog, if you will, for dads. Because most of the stuff in the cooking world was more mom-centric at the time. And we said, hey, we can have fun. We can do recipes. We know how to get people to sponsor having us build a kitchen where we can do all this stuff. And then let's, you know, if we can make a little extra money with ad revenue from the site, great. And then... So let me pause you because I feel like you didn't connect a couple of dots. Your background in cooking was just... Were you a hobbyist? Did you have a culinary background? No culinary background. Uh, I mean, I worked at the local pizza shop when I was in high school. That was basically that, I think that, about that counts. It. But, but, <laughs> but the funny thing is I've always come at it from a student standpoint. So I went to work at the pizza place who I, whose sauce I wanted to learn how to make, right? Because I, I loved it. I'm like, oh, gosh, this, these people are so great at this. I want to learn how to make that. So I'd go there. And so I had a couple different steps with that. So, But it was really all about, uh, I mean, just a, just a big enthusiast. I mean, mm-hmm. love to learn how to cook go to a restaurant, love a dish, you know, uh, you know, I would have chefs come out and I would ask so many questions about the dish from the, from the server that the chef eventually would like come out and sit down. Mm-hmm. And, um, cause I would want to be able to replicate that myself. Um, so, you know, we were doing this, everything, it was just fun, you know, and I said, Hey, let's, let's do a TV show. And the original TV show was called the search for California barbecue. And the idea was that there's more barbecue served in California than any other state in the country, but it has no identity. Like, it's not like Texas. It's not like Kansas. It's not like Memphis. It's not like Carolina. There's no real identity. And so the idea for our show was let's go and find that. And we'll king the crown of California barbecue and try and put it on the map. So uh, being in advertising, we had lots of production resources. So we called a production company and we said, hey, we're calling in the favor. They're like, heck yeah, let's do it. They showed up with two grip trucks and four cameras, and we did 11 locations in 17 hours and shot this thing. This is just on your own diamond time? Yep, totally on our own. And uh, um, we got the first edit back, and my wife, she's a creative director in the advertising world, so she's really good at telling you in a very constructive way, like, hey, this is why this is working, this is why this isn't working. And she, she watched the first cut, and she said, you two idiots are going to be on TV. Like this oh. is this is gonna work. That's encouraging. Yeah, it's one of the nicest things she's ever said. Oh man, when your spouse <laughs> says do it. Yeah. So um, so so we we decided to go actually on Indiegogo, which you know I don't know if that's still around, but it's Kickstarter esque, mm-hmm. right? And we wanted to go on there just to prove the concept. So then we could go to Vox, we could go someplace else and say, hey, we raised a hundred thousand dollars. There is a market for this show. Let us refund all the money to our friends and do this. And in the first week, I was just, I was at work at an ad agency in Oregon at this point. And um, I was thinking who at the Food Network would connect with us from a humor standpoint, someone who could help us, but isn't so big that they would be unreachable. Um, And it's not like we're going to reach out to Bobby Flay and he's just going to be like, oh, this is great, guys. Here's your TV show. Mm -hmm. So we reached out to Mark Summers. I don't don't know if you guys remember Double Dare. From Double Dare. Yeah. I grew up with Omar. So I got, I got his email address and I sent him a note and I said, Hey, my name is Mark Anderson. I'm the better looking, smarter, funnier grill dad. Um, here's a link to the TV show we want to make. And I thought you might want to check it out. I sent hit send on it. 
walked into a meeting like less than 10 minutes later, my phone rang and it was a Burbank number. And I said, hello. And I mean, I grew up on double dare too. Plus, <laughs> I mean, he hosted next food network star mm-hmm. unwrapped all these things. Is this Mark? Yes. And I recognize the voice. He goes, this is Mark Summers. I'm like, Hey, he's like, who the F are you guys? <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? He goes, are you guys chefs? Are you? He goes, this is the funniest trailer for a show and that's what we had made uh-huh. um this is the funniest trailer for a show i've ever seen and i said no we're advertising guys and three days later faye and i are having breakfast with him in beverly hills it was our first power breakfast it was awesome and um i'm really glad to hear the mark summers is doing well he's <laughs> he's taking you out to eat in beverly hills Congrats, Mark. I, I don't remember if he picked up the check. You're like but. living our entire generation's <laughs> fantasy right here. I know. So I'm waiting for the story to end that he took you to a studio and let you run through all the cool activities hey, from Double Hey, he did Dare. a lot of things besides that. Unwrapped was pretty amazing. Anyway, let's go on. So okay. he got, yeah, I could talk about Mark for days. So um, so we meet and he said, because um, we always said, like, we think our the, we think our concept and our show would resonate well with the diners, drive-ins, and dives crowd. Mm-hmm. It just seems like there'd be an intersection there. So we met with Mark, and he sat down, and he said, uh, I want to pitch this to Guy Fieri and have him. I'm going to pitch him on the idea of he and I being co-executive producers, and we take it with his production company to the Food Network. We're like, <laughs> okay, I guess. <laughs> All right. If you, if you must. Um so he was, you know, he's also a judge for a long time on guys' grocery games. So a couple of weeks later, he's up there and he plays it for Guy. And they called us together from Guy's trailer and he said, come see me. So then we flew out to Santa Rosa. We're on the set of Guy's Grocery Games, which is insane, by the way. That's a 35,000 square foot grocery store in a warehouse across the street from his house. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Pretty, pretty cool. Um, and... Uh, He's like, what do you guys want to do? Talk about your goals. And he said, I do want to work with you guys, but um, I have a different idea of how to do it. And we said, okay, great. And he said, I'm about to launch a reality show called Guy's Big Project. And I want you guys to be on it. And we said, no, thank you. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he, he's like, why don't you want to be on it? And we said, because reality shows aren't looking, like the next Food Network star, they're not looking for the next Food Network star. They're looking for somebody who wants to be the next Food Network star and they can leverage that person's dream mm. to make interesting content in the short term. That's sure. extremely direct. Right. Yeah, it, it's, it's what it is, right? They're, they have no desire to make those people actual stars. So at least not after the first few seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with The Voice. I mean, they do one concert after they're off of The Voice and then you never hear from them again. Mm. Um, and it's about leveraging their dream to be a pop singer. So anyway... And um, he said, I totally hear you. Um, Let me think about it. He got back to us and said, I've got so many things going on. The only way I can work with you guys is if you go in the show. And we said, okay, thanks. We get it, but we're going to pass. Because Mark had said, if you guys don't want to do that, I'll still take it to Food Network. Um, So Guy calls us, like uh, maybe like a month later, Guy's assistant calls. And it's like, hey, do you have time to talk? I was like... (laughs) Let me see if I can fit him in. <laughs> and um, so Faye and I got on the phone and he talked to us for 45 minutes. He's like, here's the plan. You know, because, you know, one of the other things we said to them, I said, being a reality show loser is worse than having never been on a reality show. Mm-hmm. So if you're coming eighth place, 
No like, one is going to back you. Exactly. Now you've got that stink attached to you for the whole time. And I said, we didn't want that. And plus, even if you win, it's not that good of a deal. And we don't want to be on TV just to say we're on TV. We want our show to be on TV. And he was super respectful of that. So he called and he's like, um, you know, he's like, here's why you guys are going to do my show. And we're like, okay, let's hear it. And he talked for 45 minutes. He's like, you're going to come on my show. Here's why it doesn't matter if you don't win. I'm in business with you guys. I'm going to do this, that. And he's like, I want you to do it. And we're like, he was pushing so hard. We're kind of like, so if we go on, are we going to win? Because we didn't know if he's saying like he wants to launch us through that show. And he's like, no, you have to win the show on your own. Like you have to, you know, I'm going to push for you to be on it with the network, but they're paying for it. So even they have to select you. That's risky because if we get submitted for casting and then they don't approve us for casting for that show, like the Food Network is famous. They're never going to give you two no's, right? That you get one no and you're done. So we wouldn't, if we went on the reality show and they said no to the casting, then we wouldn't have been able to take Mark's offer up and have him go and pitch it. So you have one shot. You have exactly. one shot that with anything that has to do with the Food Network. Yeah. And you're considering, is this the one that I want to take? Yeah. And I was, so I was texting with Faye while we were talking to him and I said, you know what? If he cares this much about it and he's thought this much about it, I mean, I think we have to do it, you know? Um, and, and we did. So we went on the show. Uh, we won. It was the worst experience of my life. Uh, Why? So it's funny. I don't know if you guys watch Food Network at all, but there's this person on the network. Her name is Artie Sequera. Um, and we have a mutual friend from before we did our Food Network thing, but she had already won Next Food Network star. And I called Artie. She agreed to, to talk to us and said, hey, we're going to do this show. I said, us doing poorly can be good for the story arc of their show. And we want to, how do we avoid being D bags on camera when they're filming you 12 hours a day? Mm -hmm. And she goes, and she's this, Artie's the best. She's like, she'll go out and have drinks with you, but she's like really dedicated Christian. So she's got this beautiful big heart, but like she can hang out with all the degenerates from the food network. And like, she really is this unique character. She's, she goes, don't be a D bag on camera. Uh, Simple I'm like, solution. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm overthinking this. Um, but when you go there, I, I just, it just feels very vulnerable because they have um, uh, 14 cameras running for eight hours. Do the math. Those 14 cameras times eight hours is, you know, a thousand hours of footage ish. And then, they're going to make that into a 44 minute episode of TV. So they can make you look dumb by taking footage a and putting it with situation B. They can make you look sad. They can make you, they have full control over how you are portrayed to the public. And that to me was, I just felt, I hated that feeling. Well, you're really uh, disillusioning me about reality TV. <laughs> I had this idea that it was all accurate. Uh -huh. That's really how things happen. I'm totally kidding. Yeah, we don't yeah. actually watch much reality TV because it But it it's does. interesting to hear. Like, it's interesting to hear the agenda yep. behind the scenes that they're going to make the show that they want to make. Yeah, they've got to sell yep. it. So how do you protect yourself? How do you protect your vision? How do you protect your brand with people that don't share your interests? You, you've got to... That's some point you got to give in to the process a little bit. And then at some point you need to have your own boundaries, right? So for example, the original concept was called dads on grills. That's what our name was. And the <laughs> so many people, at the food network were like 
dad's on what? I'm like, did you think we said girls? <laughs> and they said, yeah, what did you say? We, we said grills. And, and so we mutually agreed that we should probably <laughs> yeah. work on that name. Uh, yeah, yeah that's a different show. <laughs> yeah. And we're not going to be a part of that. Um, different network. So um, so we realized halfway through the first couple episodes taping that we had to work on the name of the show. And they came in and one of the producers was like, okay, we have the name of the show. It's going to be fried, grilled, and chilled. And I'm like, get out of my face. <laughs> yeah, that's I don't great. know who's going to be on that show, but I know it's not going to be me. Uh-huh. You know, and there was a couple situations where they're like, oh, we need you guys to do this. We need you to do that. They're like, hey, we want you to like sit in a room and talk about your feelings for your friend, Faye. I'm like, figure something else out. <laughs> I'm not doing that. So you had to hold a hard line and, and yeah. with some of these things, just say, no, we're not going to do that. Yep. And it was interesting, the process, because it all happened over about five weeks, right? So by the time we were crowned the winner of the show on TV, we had already won and filmed the entire first season of our show and it had been edited. Before it even aired? Before it even aired. So, um, you know, on day one, I mean, I've never been treated. I mean, you have to ask permission to go to the bathroom on day one. I mean, it is just awful. They are business. It's all business. And again... They cast people that are good on the show, not necessarily who are adequate at adulting, right? So um, so I understood why they had some of this permission stuff. Um, but we were in Clear Lake, California, which is close to where we were shooting. It's one of the worst places in the world. Mm. Um, we call it, uh, we stayed at the Best Western there, which we called the Meth Western. <laughs> and Faye and I went out walked into town to find a place to get pizza for dinner. We didn't tell the producer that we were doing it, not because we were trying to be rebels, but we didn't know there was PAs driving around in minivans looking for us just on the street, just on the street. Wow. So were you late? No, we weren't even filming. Were you over the age of 18? Yeah. That's how we kind of <laughs> felt too. You know, it's like, and by the way, and it's also like, I'm 45 now. Right. You know, I was what 42 when I did this. And, um, I was like, you're 12 years old and I don't need you to tell me where I can go eat. Um, so, but by the end uh, of the show, it was very different. Um, and like your perception or the way that they treated you, the like, way that they treated you. Cause they, you had to earn, I mean, cause they deal with a lot of crazies and mm-hmm. I get that. So you kind of had to earn respect, but also we went into the show and the whole process of like, you know, because I was I was a tour manager in the music business for ten years, and I saw the relationship between the artists and all the people behind the scenes. And if that relationship was really good, you could tell that there was a difference in the career because you have people behind the scenes pulling for you. So we decided to go in, and our goal was to make sure everyone working on that show had the time of their life working with us. So they 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 called us two days before we flew out to the show, and they said we need a picture of the outfit you're going to wear on the first day so we can get give approval on the outfit. So Faye and I did a full glam shoot. <laughs> like, like with the, I mean, like little like photoshopped, like airbrushed, like, like little lasers like in the background profile. So I was, I, I was reading the Homer's Odyssey um, <laughs> and it was upside down. I had my foot on a ladder and it was in front of a backdrop. Faye had an eagle landing on his arm and it was so like airbrushed and stuff. And we sent it to them. We're like, how's this? And they called us in the whole control room uh, on speakerphone, and they were all laughing. They're like, dude, guys, this is amazing. And that's what every opportunity the entire time that we were there, 
we we did that. Um, you know, it's funny too, being business owners and adults. You know, there was a guy on the show. I won't say his name, but um, nice guy. But he um, he didn't get it. You know, he he said to us, he's like, "I'm gonna win this show. I'm gonna sell my house. I'm gonna buy a house in Beverly Hills, and this is gonna be great." I'm like, "That's not how this works." But he was a basket case, yeah. basket case. So he would call his producers at two in the morning in their hotel room and be like, "Why did you switch restaurants on me?" You guys are trying to screw me. Like I, and then send him like 500 text messages and I would sit him down and be like, look, here's the deal. This is a fellow contestant. Yeah. And I said to this guy, I said, if you win, they're going to spend between 900,000 and $1.5 million producing your show. You need to behave like a person where a million dollar investment is safe and you're not doing that. So regardless, it doesn't like regardless of how well you do on the screen with Guy, the Food Network is not going to green light somebody to have that kind of spend unless they're just stratospherically big from a celebrity yeah. standpoint. It's an investment. Yeah, for and them. and they need to be, it needs to be smart about it. So how did he accept that uh, construction constructive criticism? Uh, he was asked. So he lost on the next episode. They asked him to leave, and we had to go. He was literally screaming in the halls of this giant production company in, in, in Culver City. And um, they called us, the producers called us and said, hey, can you help calm this guy down? And hey, get, fellow get contestant, can yeah. you come help us do our jobs yeah. and manage another contestant? Yeah. And we, said, we just walked down. We said, every door that you open in the last three weeks that you're here, you're slamming shut. So if you want any opportunity going forward, I suggest you stick an apple in your mouth and get the hell out of here. And um, But they didn't, you know... So we, we looked at it as like through the eyes of the Food Network from a business standpoint as well. Mm. I mean, obviously the creative is important, but. But there is a disconnect with the creatives. You have this idea of there's so many different shows like that, that it's all about your talent. It's all about your dream. If you dream hard enough, but really it's not like that. It's about no. knowing how the adult world works and it's about connections and and dealings with every single person along the way but that's not interesting um entertainment so you're not seeing that side yeah exactly mm. so uh pretty awesome so your relationship with it so like at the end of your show before the guy show even aired you're finished you're you you filmed your whole first season yeah 10 episodes right yep 10 episodes and I've got like people who didn't know me really well because you signed a non-disclosure agreement that is beefy, mm -hmm. um, and which says you can't tell people that you talked to Bobby Flay. Well, or you, you, you can't, you can't tell people win. who won the show yeah. or what oh, happened see, on the show, right? So um, here I am. I just moved to Idaho. I bought a company called Ultra Clean, um, and you know it's like nothing to do with that. We do water fire damage restoration, and I. Six months after I bought the company, I left for three weeks and I couldn't tell anybody what I was doing. I'm like, these people are going to think I'm finishing a out of jail sentence or, or I'm in rehab <laughs> yeah. or exactly second family somewhere. Um, so yeah, it was also the secretiveness was really weird. Mm. So you said that the being on that show is the worst experience of your life. What about doing your own show? Was that a different experience? Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It, so at that point, um, Everybody there. So when, when you're on the reality show, everybody's job is to make a reality show that gets good ratings. Mm -hmm. And if us doing very poorly is a good 
story arc, then everyone's going to latch onto that because it's their job. Once you win, everybody's job is to make our show successful. So it just, the, the, and everyone that worked on the reality show is great, you know, nice people, but it's just the reality of a reality show. Um, so I just remember, you know, we were filming in Portland and my wife texted me, it was like seven in the morning there and said, Hey, what are you doing? And I said, I am sitting in a suburban with Faye and we're outside of a restaurant and there's a 14 person crew from the food network setting up for us to go in and film the show. I'm doing pretty damn good. <laughs> you know, like this is, this is amazing. Um, you know, so of all of the things, you know, going in and doing the actual segment with the restaurant was by far the best. Wow. That's so exciting. I'm, I don't know why I'm fascinated by this idea that the theme of your career still stays within, within advertising, but then yep. you have this random hobbyist skill set that you pulled into this mainstream talent set. And all of a sudden you're doing a freaking TV show about this hobby. That's awesome to me. Yeah. And, and it's funny now we have brands. So we're, I mean, working with the food network was, I would say, okay. I mean, they, they, they called us on the day that our show premiered in the morning and they said, Hey, you guys are ad guys. You get it. We're just going to tell you the marketing budget for your show is zero dollars. And so, okay. So you just made this whole show and we don't have the money to market it. We're, we're sorry. We're like zero, like it's not a lot, and zero is a funny way to say it, or like actual zero dollars. And they said no actual zero dollars. Okay. And then that night, the episode where we won aired and our show premiered. And we're thinking, you know, you you know a ton about social media. So we're thinking, hey, this is great. We're gonna finally get some traction on social media because they're saying our name, it's on the screen, it's our show. We got like 17 new followers on Instagram. <laughs> So that was the day where we realized that the show was literally just a gateway. Mm -hmm. I mean, we just, any success we got, we were going to have to go out and take it ourselves. Nothing just comes to you. We had big, big name agents, um, same agents actually as Boise boys. Um, and those guys, I mean, nice people, but they were worse than not having an agent. And, um, and so we realized very quickly that, um, you know, 1.4 1.4 million people could watch our show on a Friday night. And first of all, it's, we love diners, drive-ins and dives. So even just to look at the guide and see diners, drive-ins and dives, the grill dads, diners, drive-ins and dives. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, that was enough for me. I'm like, so, um, so yeah, we just, I mean, you got to go out and take everything you want. But so for the first two years, the deal with the food network is what they call a participant agreement, which is code for they own everything. So, um, after two years, we we're able to renegotiate that and actually own our name and then start doing deals with brands mm-hmm. on social media. So now we've got the advertising background plus the social media presence and this whole, you know, offline online presence in the cooking world. We're doing jobs now where the brands come to us and hire us as the agency, the production company and the talent. So we're coming up with the concept, we're filming it and we're, we're, doing hundred percent of the execution. And then it's us actually in, in the spots. Your this is what you're is, do, doing now. Yeah. His, I don't know. You're not as uh, connected on social media as, as I, but, True. um, yeah, but your, uh, Instagram page is incredible. You have such a huge risk or such a huge, uh, reach, but your content is so 
hilarious. I mean, <laughs> I know that sometimes you, you know you're doing advertisements and you've got sponsors, but I'm I'm watching it. I'm learning. It's it's so funny. And is do you feel is that ownership of your content um, like it's just a totally different world than than working with the Food Network? Yeah, you know it's it's interesting. I mean, again, even there was some vulnerability with doing your own show on the Food Network because you also you're in a restaurant for six hours times three cameras. You know, it's 18 hours of footage for a 22 minute show, and you have no say in the edit. So you really? still don't really know. You don't have final right of refusal or final approval to say, looks good, crew, good job, everybody, or let's tweak this or that. It's, you have to live with it? Uh, we were able to watch it once and give notes, and then the Food Network watched after that, and then we weren't allowed to give notes after them, and a lot of times they would not wow. take our notes. Huh. Um, but the creative process of creating the content and being in the room, we were able to own 100%, which was great. And then after a while, you learn if there's certain things you don't want to show up in an edit. Back to Artie's point, don't do it on camera, <laughs> yeah. you know. But it does take a little bit to be measured enough to make to to make those game time decisions. But um, the it's funny the social media thing. Um, you know, we would meet social media influencers in the food space all the time, and they would they would talk to us for an hour and a half about how do you get on the Today Show because they. They've got 500,000 followers on Instagram, but they can't do anything that's not on a social platform. And then we'll talk to them for hours about how do we get more followers just because we want to round out our brand. Um, and so this year in January, we finally, it's it, you know, we decide we're like, hey, we've been putting up recipe videos, doing all this stuff, but literally there's a thousand influencers that could do exactly what we're doing. So we created a marketing brief for ourselves and said, we need to redefine what we're doing on social media. Um, and, you know, it has to be the number one thing is it has to be ownable. So nobody else could do it. And, you know, Faye, my famous sidekick, lives in <laughs> Los Angeles. We're 800 miles apart. So we came up with this concept called Cooking Together Apart, where we built out these studios where we cook together. I mean, we've got we're talking to each other on Zoom and in earpieces but then we're filming the actual recipe and we've got the camera set up and framed perfectly with all these monitors and everything so that I can hand him an onion and, or throw him an onion. And, um, and we call it cooking together part. And we went from like a one and a half percent engagement to almost 5% and grew from 40,000 to a hundred thousand in just a few months. That's awesome. So we finally found our online voice. So now Everything's really come together. Now it's like over 100,000 people there. We reached 7.6 million people on Facebook in the last 30 days. Um, oh, and nice. so now we've got that. Plus, we just did Today Show two weeks ago. We're doing it again on July 19th. We're doing Guys Grocery Games. We're doing Beat Bobby Flay. So just in the last four or five months, the all the different pieces that we've been working on together have kind of started to pop. So the brand deals have been epic this summer. So now if someone comes to us and they said, Hey, will you post a picture of you holding our product? We can say no. Mm -hmm. Cause we, first of all, we don't have room in the calendar to do it. Mm -hmm. And secondly, we, now that we have a big enough following with a good enough engagement, we can decide what's good for us. And we can say, you know, it's like today we launched a video, uh, smoked picanha steak with blackberry chimichurri. And we did it, our cooking together apart. And it's with a company called Cutting Edge Firewood. They do, you know, home delivery of like super 
like kiln drying, like great food, smoking chunks, all this stuff. But when they call us, they're like, they send us a brief, like, hey, we have a marketing brief, but we want you to do your cooking together apart. You do your recipe. Mm. And that's fun. And then when other people call and say, hey, you know, um, you know, uh, giant hardware store last year wanted us to do something around Super Bowl and they were going to send a kit out, like an execution kit for us. Mm-hmm. And every, we said no. Mm-hmm. And we saw like 20 of our friends did it. And it was all the same exact content. They all read the same exact script. And um, it did very poorly for the hardware company. Um, you know, and I think it devalued the influencers that did it a little bit. So, so now, here in, when a company can lean on an influencer to do, or a production company or a brand to fit their product within their brand, they're more successful both yep. ways. Yeah, I, I mean, as an influencer, I will definitely say if, if a company trusts you enough to have influence, trust you enough to also create the content. And and it's interesting, people say, oh, I want to be on the Food Network, I want to be on the Today Show, and all those things are great. But isn't there something amazing about just having 100% walkaway power and being able to be at a place where your brand is exactly what you want it to be, and you have total control over that? I find that to be the most empowering thing. And we knew we were signing a garbage deal. Um, We have a great entertainment attorney. We had a mutual friend. Um, you know, we have a really close friend who's an actor who's got a great attorney, uh, in LA and the guy's like, Hey, I'll, I'll help you guys out. And he looked at the deal and he goes, look, I'm going to tell you two things. It's the worst deal you're ever going to sign in your life. And the second thing is if you ask them to change anything, they're going to, they're going to just tell you guys, no, move to the next person. They're not going to negotiate on the contract. We've seen it a thousand times. So it's basically at that point, it's like Jerry Maguire. It's like, you're doing the one year rookie deal hoping you have a good season and then you can renegotiate on the other side. Mm. And so we knew going into it that it was going to be bad. Um, so we got that up front and then had to work out of it. And we get people call us all the time. You know, they'll send us a DM on Instagram and say, Hey, I just got cast for this show on food network. It's a barbecue competition show. I'm super excited. Do You guys have any thoughts? I'm like, yeah, don't do it <laughs> is my first thought. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so it's really funny. It's, you know, always giving people sort of the other side of that because they think this magical thing is going to happen when the TV deal happens. And our show did really well. I mean, it's still on Hulu, Discovery Plus, Amazon Prime. Right now it's on in 14 countries. You know, um, we're not making new episodes, but it's it's going really well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and uh, li- we get literally nothing from it. Wow. Dude, that is crazy to me. It feels like that's the glowing horizon that everybody's shooting for. And then yeah. when you get there, you've exhausted me telling me all about yeah. the ins and outs of Hollywood. I want no part of this business. Yeah. Well, that's so we, so there's people who have one Food Network star, for example, who um, are part of the, I call it like the judging family. You see them judging every single show. Mm-hmm. So this person's on like 60, 70 episodes of TV a year, 60, 70 first run episodes of TV. A year. That's a lot. Well, the person was talking to us and they're like, well, how did you guys get the deal with this company? Like we hit them up on LinkedIn, told them we're fans of the brand, told them about our audience, our success. And we want to know if we get on the phone, they shared a brief. We sent back a creative proposal to them and they bought it. People think they get on TV and they're, they're going to get 
a phone call at the end of every day and their agent is just going to tell them all the deals that walk themselves in the front door and they have to choose. And it's never going to happen, at least not with Food Network. You're having to continue to sell yourself the entire time. I'm starting to think maybe I should not um, accept that invitation to Real Housewives of Boise. Mm. I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm still I'm still on the fence. We'll figure that out. Mm. Um, so wow. it sounds like a lot of your success is due to your background in advertising. You understand this world. And you know how it works. You can self-perform some of these things that someone who doesn't come with an advertising background might have to outsource. Fact or fiction? I would say yes, that and the the fact that we're too dumb to know when to stop mm. is the other part of it too. Because when they don't order more episodes of your show, but they still own your name and you're not making any money off of it, most rational, smart people at that point would be like, that was fun. Hand wash, I'm out. Mm. I'm out. But we're like, screw this. You know, we had, you know, we had our own show on for two years. We're still doing Wendy Williams, Howard Stern wrap-up show, still doing Today Show. And as long as we keep that stuff up, we have enough reason to go. And then when we were finally able to negotiate getting our name back, um, which was hard, um, which is crazy. It's like they don't want to make any new shows with you, but they also don't want you to be successful somewhere else. So they don't let you have it. Um, So once that all happened, we're like, oh, this was actually good. But I mean, you know, a year, I think December of 19, you know, Faye and I sat down and we're like, the Girl Dads is a underpaid hobby, you know? And if that doesn't change by the end of this year, um, then we're going to, you know, we're going to get out of it, you know? And then got her name back, launched the Spice Line, which did really well for us. And then social media took off. And the pandemic, I don't know how it was for you, Natalie, but for us, it was like brands couldn't spend money the way they were before. Um, and so a lot of brands wanted to feature in home cooking because mm-hmm. that's ever, it was not cool to go out. Right. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. like, you're supposed to be home and be safe. And that's what we were doing. Mm-hmm. Dude, that's right up your alley. So Budweiser was like, Hey, let's do a backyard grilling party. We did this, uh, thing for Dos Equis where they had, a, they built a cooler that was six feet long. So you could have friends with your buddy. And as long as the cooler was between you, you knew it was safe, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> you know? And so it was like, it was actually, and that all that stuff happened right when we got our name back. So it's just mm. kind of, we were, we were close to the end. Okay. Fascinating story. We could talk all day. Let's transition into some real world application. What are you grilling on in your backyard? When you grill and you entertain, you have your buddies over, what are you cooking on? I, do you want me to tell you about all 12 grills or <laughs> oh. or just a few things? I feel like we need oh, to go to your okay. house and see this. What's your go-to? Big green egg. The big green egg. Yep. I looked into a big green egg once upon a time, and number one, it was a weird shape. Couldn't quite get over that in my head. I think it's Number cool. two, the big like dinosaur a, egg. Yeah. It's, it's like heavy. I am surprised at how heavy those units are. The XL is 300 pounds. Yeah. Yep. You tip that thing over, that's a, that's a real Isn't uh, that the health point? and safety is it hazard. It doesn't tip over? I don't know. Uh, people do tip them over occasionally, but uh, uh, because, if, I mean, they can be top heavy if you try and move them. But that weight is good for you because it's all about heat retention. So the reason why like a really cheap pellet grill is so hard to use in January in Idaho is because the metal is as thin as aluminum foil and it can't retain any heat. Right. So uh, I could do for Christmas last year, I smoked a whole beef tenderloin. Um, and then, so, I mean... I never opened the thing. I put a wireless meat thermometer in there. I closed it, you know, at 200 degrees for a couple hours. Um, 
I just open it up and it's done. I mean, so you're like, using the egg for extended duration cooking. Well, that's the, what do you, so we're not big. We're, we're, we're very specific about the grill dads and not the barbecue dads. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cause we're not barbecue is a cuisine. Sure. Right. A grill is a tool. So for us, we're more likely to do steak pizza. So what are you cooking your steaks on? You're not doing it on the egg. I am. You are, but, but uh, at 900 degrees instead of 200 degrees. And that's why these ceramic grills are great. Because you can do that crazy. You can cook a pizza at 850 degrees in 90 seconds, or you can smoke a brisket for 24 hours without adding charcoal. Mm. What would you recommend for a novice? Someone who just came to the valley, oh, beautiful summertime. I'd love to start grilling. What do I go and get? We get this question daily on social. And my response that I cut and paste back is, what's your budget? Where do you live? And what are your three favorite things to cook on a grill? Interesting. Because that's going to be a much different answer. Somebody's like, I want to be able to cook hamburgers for my kids when I get home from work. Right? Okay, well, then I'm probably not going to recommend a big green egg because you're not going to want to come home, get the charcoal, get the lighter out, do all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really depends on the situation. Um, I think the big green egg is the most, and the Komodo-style grills in general, there's a lot of good ones. Um, but they're all very versatile. Um, but we just got a grill to demo from a company called Napoleon. It's gas grill. It's all things. Awesome. You know, it's like we, we cooked some uh, meals on it this weekend. We did a grilled chicken pesto caprese sandwich with uh, blistered tomatoes. And I mean, we turned that grill on and it was at 600 degrees in like five minutes. There's a lot of benefit to that. And so that's going to fit someone's lifestyle differently than someone who wants to do ribs on the weekend. So it's hard. There's not a one size fits all. Um, There's a lot of pellet grill companies out there, especially really big ones that misrepresent the, the value of their grill with high temperature cooking. So our grill goes to 500. So you can sear a steak. Well, first of all, if it doesn't catch on fire, it's only going to be 500 degrees for like 40 seconds. As soon as you open the door, it's going to drop to 200 degrees Mm. and you're, you're screwed. So, but that's the perfect grill for somebody who wants to do a smoked chicken on the weekends or, you know, even during the week, because it, I mean, if you open up your phone, you hit a button and you're cooking. So if I say my go-to is going to be chicken, steaks, and burgers, I probably don't need anything super fancy. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're open to charcoal, it would be the big green egg. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're not open to charcoal, I mean, I think, you know, there's a lot of really good gas. Back when we were in the South and I was grilling a lot more, I don't know why I had more time back then, but I don't grill that much these days, but I love well, charcoal. You do now because you quit your job. There was a, in, <laughs> oh, true. Thank you for pointing that uh-huh. out. Um, uh, I love charcoal. There's something, something about cooking with charcoal that's yep. just primal. And it's almost like, a, I don't know, it's like you're part of a group. When you can ch- cook well with charcoal, you're in this different class of guys. And gas grills always give the head nod to the charcoal guys. Charcoal. Good steak on charcoal? Yeah. Excellent, my friend. Well, it's funny. I mean, the best steak houses in the world use a 1,500-degree gas broiler. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can get good flavor if you do it right without using charcoal. To me, the charcoal, it, there's a creative factor to it. You know, um, you know, I was talking at a Big Green Egg thing one time, and someone said, you know, why do you love the egg? And I said, the first 15, after I got mine, the first 15 people I asked how they light it gave me a completely different answer. Mm. And I said, I love that because 
You could be like, hey, I'm going to put the charcoal over to this side, and I'm going to light it, and then I'm going to do the stone over top of that so I have indirect, but I have convection. And you can do this in your head and create these cooking environments that you want that you design yourself. Whereas a pellet grill, again, tons of value, and, and they do lots of things great. But it's like you can be creative with the food, but you're not being creative with the fire because you're going to hit the start button, and then you're going to dial up. You're going to put smoked whole chicken in the app and hit start. Mm. Um, which again, for some people is great, you know? And the thing I would say is like, use the, buy the grill you really know you're going to use the most. Nice. And if it's gas, great. If it's charcoal, great. I mean, I have both, you know, and I, if I get home from work at 630 and we have burgers in the fridge, I mean, I'm going to the gas grill. Yeah. All right. This is a podcast that's pretty focused in Idaho. So I'm going to ask you a question uh, about local grill and barbecue places. <laughs> okay, go. Okay. Um, so be honest. What are your thoughts about, I guess, barbecue in Idaho and the restaurants that offer it? Let's be more specific. Let's start with, can you get really good barbecue in Idaho? Okay, sure. Yes-ish. Um, you know, it, it's, there's a lot of restaurants in town and it seems like there's a lot of them that have some, a few really good things. I think probably the best, most well-rounded is barbecue for life. I keep um, hearing that. And, but I think the problem is, you know, when I, like, if I were to open up a barbecue restaurant in Idaho, I wouldn't think like, Hey, I'm going to go to Memphis and try and steal some guy's recipe. I would think, Hey, what, what can we do with barbecue, which is smoking something low and slow, right? What can we do with Idaho ingredients, Idaho farm, you know, with what can we do and make it Idaho? And there's a lot of people here that just, it's, it's, I don't want to say imposter barbecue, but it's imported barbecue. Yeah. And I'm, I'm waiting for somebody to really have a real true local identity. What do you think something like that would look like or taste like? Gosh, I don't even know. And like, that's when I think of Carolina, I think a lot of, uh, more vinegary sauces. Yep. When Whole I think hog. Of, yep. When I think of Kansas city, I think it a bit more rubs. Yep. Um, different type of approach there. Yeah, and we moved from the South. We lived in North Carolina and we lived in Tennessee. Yep. And so we got used to a, a very uh, specific taste and we were really spoiled. We had great barbecue and then we came here and we found good barbecue. It is, it's just different. It's almost like this weird uh, melding of, of different kinds. And yep. yeah. See, what it's like an Idaho flavor. Rib shack and Eagle. Mm -hmm. The ribs are great. The tri tip mm -hmm. is phenomenal. There's nothing on the sides menu that my family likes. Yeah, huh. I noticed that. So we don't order, we never order from there anymore because I'm not going to go pick up food and then come home and make uh -huh. a vegetable, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, I, I mean, I don't know, I don't know what it would look like, but I mean, I think Idaho could really probably, in a way that made sense, lean more into, you know, someone could do fun barbecue with game, mm -hmm. you know, because I mean, like bison and elk here is really awesome. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of different opportunities here to do Idaho stuff. Interesting. And I think the best, the best daily driver beef in the world comes from here. You know, a couple more questions about your expertise. What is your go-to meal when you got friends over, but you don't want to work too hard, right? You just want to make a, your stock guarantee crowd pleaser. What do you cook? Uh, steak. For sure. So I, I obsess over a dish one at a time usually until I feel like I can make it better 
than I can get in any restaurant. Mm. My first real obsession was steak. Um, and I mean, I'm talking hundreds of steaks over a year and a half, cooking them different ways, getting steaks from different people, um, and then figuring out how to cook it at home. And then it's at the point now where, you know, my wife, it's like, we'll go to Chandler's, for example. Great restaurant, but we'll order steak. And my wife's like, mm-hmm. Awesome. I, I should have gotten the fish because we don't. I don't cook that as much at home, mm-hmm. and the steak at home is also better. That's high praise. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Everyone thinks of Idaho potatoes. I will say I've never seen a potato farm or field or whatever. We have more cattle than people in yep. Idaho. Why are we not known as the beef state? It's it's interesting to me. Um, hmm. It's just you don't think Idaho, and automatically think of of beef, but. We produce some of the best beef. The problem is we don't keep it in Idaho. It yep. seems to be shipped out to New York and LA. Yeah. Um, but there, you know, this concept of let's let's bring this beef back to Idaho um, seems. And seems it's also relevant. too. It's like Tree Fort and Food Fort. We cooked at Food Fort, you know, and we work with Snake River Farms, which is based here. And I, I think Snake River Farms is probably, for the most part, globally recognized as the best beef coming out of the states. Um, and I mean, that's a subjective thing, so it's hard to say, but I I think it'd probably be on the top of most people's list. Um, it'd be great to make that more of an Idaho thing, um, because it's based here. Um, but it's, it's funny. I mean, people are so short-sighted. I mean, it's like, and you got, I mean, it's like, Hey, if someone moved here from California, they're a jerk. If you're in Idaho and you want Idaho food, it's gotta be a potato. It's like people have this like visceral, response, easy, single response loaded into their brain that they can't ever get away from. Um, and, uh, and one of the, but I hate barbecue competitions and like steak grilling competitions because steak grilling competitions, it's like if your grill lines aren't at, you know, 35 degrees, then you're going to get points knocked off. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. (laughs) So, um, actually have a concept for, doing like a more of a live fire cooking competition here that's not barbecue focused so mm. it's not ribs it's not it's just you've got fire protein and you know the my my sort of tagline is if there's grill marks or if it's in a styrofoam container on top of some flat leaf parsley you're automatically disqualified <laughs> um, i feel like we should make that happen yeah and you know and 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 actually i think something like that would help put Idaho on the map. And it'd also be great too. It's like, you know, tree fort food fort. They do bring in some people from outside. Um, but the last few years before the pandemic, I mean, they were really using a lot of local restaurants, a lot of local chefs. And I think, I hope tree fort, the food fort part of tree fort continues to grow, um, and help, you know, help put Idaho on the map. Mm. So help me out. I got a freezer full of meat. They just got from the butcher bunch of steak. I don't know what to do with. I know how to cook my steaks. I know how to cook my roasts in a slow cooker. Yep. What am I supposed to be doing? And now I'm going to give you a list of meats. Okay, let's do rapid fire. We got five okay, minutes. Rapid fire. What am I doing with a flank steak? Uh, flank steak is one of my all time favorites. Um, it's thin, uh, thinner. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's long and flat, almost like a like a board. Um, and you know, a lot, you'll hear a lot of times people say you want to have your steak room temperature before you cook it. That's true for most steaks, thin steaks. It's the opposite. 
the reason why you want a room temperature for a two inch thick ribeye is so you don't have to have more high heat from the grill transfer from the outside of the meat to heat up the middle. And that's why you have gray on the outside and raw in the middle. Um, For what we call coast to coast pink with a large steak, you want it, you know, low and slow, let it be room temperature flank steak. We season it, put it back in the fridge because you want to be able to develop a really nice sear on that steak without overcooking it. Okay. So you go into the fridge after it's seasoned, put it back in for like an hour, hour or two. You have to use really good kosher salt. Kosher salt dissolves. It draws a little bit of moisture out of the meat and then it dissolves and gets reabsorbed back in. So not all salt is equal. I could talk about salt for three days, Mm. Uh, but you need a really good kosher salt. And then that'll absorb into the meat and then super high direct three or four minutes aside, you still want it to be a medium rare cut, you know, I mean, so I'll, I'll take it off like 128. Um, and then a flank steak has a really aggressive grain, which you can see, and you have to cut perpendicular to that mm-hmm. grain and thin. Otherwise it's going to be like chewing on rubber bands. That's what I've always thought is flank steak is maybe I just haven't been cutting it thin enough. Skirt steak, try tip flank and bavette. If you've had a bad one, it's because I have someone sliced it. So skirt steak is my next question. How's it different than a flank steak? I mean, it's a different part of the animal. Okay. So it's from the diaphragm. It helps the animal actually breathe. But um, the thing with the the skirt steak is that the grain of the meat runs the short way. So if you, you know, you grow up getting fajitas at a restaurant, right? Mm-hmm. And you see they take a skirt steak and they go ding, ding, like cut it down the line and you get these little strips of meat. So you've got the full grain of meat that's fully intact when you do that. So when you cut a skirt steak, you cut off a four inch piece, rotate it 90 degrees and then cut down. And now you're cutting perpendicular. And it's the difference again, between one of the most tender cuts of meat you've ever had and rubber bands. Mm. Um, but again, skirt steak, um, super thin. So, you know, high heat direct and keep it ice cold. And they always have those really thin tails. And so after we grill it for a little bit, the thin part, we just fold on top. So it's protected by the thick part. Uh, so you get a nice, even cook. And then when you flip it over, you pull it and tuck the tuck the thin part nice. back up on top again. Skirt steak is probably maybe my favorite. Really? Yep. Do you turn it into anything fancy like a, like a carne asada or do you, do you just grill it basic style? Uh, a lot of times we'll just do salt. I mean, we have our own line of stuff. We have a, so we have this rub called Red Tuxedo and it's uh, salt and pepper primarily. And it's about celebrating the meat. It's very central Texas ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's like 3% of the rub is three different chilies. So it's got Szechuan peppercorn, cayenne pepper, and crushed red pepper, just the tiniest little bit of heat, but it, the, the rub, I mean, it's mainly amazing kosher salt mm. to highlight the taste of the meat. And I don't do carne asada marinade on skirt steak almost as a protest because People typically marinate that because the steak has a bad rap for being tough, but it's just being sliced wrong. Mm. Um, so most That's people, it. yeah, How most people slice like, it. I know it's crazy, and uh, so most people like you know I'm gonna marinate it in carne asada, which has tons of lime juice, so the acid can break down the 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 protein and make it tender. But it's like all you had to do is turn it 90 degrees, and it would have been awesome. Mm. What about my round steak? What am I doing with that? I got like a bazillion round steaks. I got two T-bones and for some reason, 30 round steaks. I didn't know <laughs> well, that. Uh, you have 30 round could... steaks because nobody buys them. Uh. <laughs> okay. They're pretty boring, but I'll tell you what I like to do with a round steak. I don't know if you ever do sous vide. 
Have you ever done that? I have a buddy who has dabbled in the sous vide world. Um, I don't know why. It looks funny to me. It is. You fun. basically boil it first, and then you throw it on the grill at the end to sear it's it. It's not. So the sous vide is French for uh, under vacuum. That's yeah. what it means. But so the actual, so people call it do, cooking sous vide, but the actual unit is an immersion circulator. Yeah. And so they have Juul, they have Anova, bath of water. It controls the temperature to within 0.25 degrees. So if you put a steak in at 130 and you set the sous vide to 130 degrees, technically you, it's, you could leave it in there for six days. It's not going to be overcooked because mm-hmm. it's never gotten to 145. Um, and the cool thing about that is you can cook it for 24 hours in there. gets super tender. Take it out, dry it off, put fun herbs on the outside, put it in a 500 degree oven for like 20 minutes and get a nice sear on the outside. 500 degrees for 20 minutes? Yeah. Like in a cast iron skillet? Or a roasting pan. Okay. Or you can go really hot on a gr- on direct side of a grill and just keep turning it and get a nice sear on the outside. Because when a piece of meat comes out of a sous vide, it, does, it looks gross. It looks all gray. Yes. Yeah, it looks Not disgusting. <laughs> but then sear it and slice it. It's going to look like a Bon Appetit okay. photograph. All right. Well, I, I can uh, make a little bit better use of my round steak. Awesome. I also okay. like round for steak salad. Like marinate it in like teriyaki or something. Uh, cook it, nice medium rare, slice it super thin and put it on a salad. Mm, yum. Cool. Okay. I like going home and doing some grilling. It's about time. I got to get through some of that. Some of that. Yeah, we, round steak. we went a little crazy with the beef. It's cool. It's, <laughs> I mean, plus the last year, I mean, people are being food hoarders a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, because the supply chains. All of a sudden, it's like toilet paper, ground yeah. beef, now concrete. Yeah. It's like weird. It is. It is bizarre. But yeah, w- when there's an opportunity to buy like quarter cow, we're like, seems like a good idea. But yep. honestly, it's been so fun and just being creative and just. I don't know if this is just Americans, but we get into this this rut of the same meals over and over again, and I get so bored. I can't handle yep. it. So, But I, I, I'm the same way. I say I'm a creature of habit, right? So I'll get bored of something, but I'll still not make something else. Like I'll, <laughs> if I go, it's such a travesty. If I go to a restaurant and the first thing I ever ordered at that restaurant is great, I could eat there once a week for 20 years. That's what I'm going to get. Yeah. Mm. And I don't see the rest of the menu. So the fun thing about buying like a, a quarter cow or, or buying some of these kits, inevitably you're going to get something that is not part of your sort of habitual eating and cooking, you know, world. And then it kind of forces you to do other stuff. And then you're like, this is great. That happened to me with a bivet steak. I'm like, what, what am I going to do with this? Mm. We then, gave away the tongue, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> We're like, you could have made pho. Uh, we, yeah. Oh, well, we, we, we are making pho. I didn't realize you could do it with the tongue. Okay. One last question. Totally not grill barbecue. What's your favorite restaurant in the Treasure Valley? Um, I'm going to give you a little bit of a ramp up. So my son now is six. Um, right before the pandemic puts him at five, four and a half. Um, if anyone here has a four and a half year old, you'll know that four and a half year olds and restaurants bring joy to no one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you um, do understand that, yeah. So, Preach it, um, brother. Yeah, so he had just grown into being a little bit of a restaurant terror right before the pandemic. Um, and then the pandemic hit, and we've got freezer fulls of Snake River Farms. I mean, I, I mean, what a blessing to have all that stuff. Um, and so we've been eating at home a ton. Um, and now we're just kind of getting back out. Um, and even before that happened, I was traveling so much that when you're out, you know, we'd be out filming five weeks at a time and you're eating at two restaurants a day for work. 
And then you're at a hotel. So if you want to get a meal, you're at a third restaurant. So I'd get home and I, the last thing I ever wanted to do was go to a restaurant. But um, the off the top favorites, um, Modern Hotel. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. love their food. Um, the entire menu or do you like a particular dish? I always get the dumplings, the pelmini or whatever mm-hmm. they're called. Mm-hmm. Those things are epic. And then a few other things. And that's a place where they actually rotate a lot of the stuff. So you're kind of forced to go outside of your comfort zone. Um, And then I love, you know, it's like I can go to a five-star Michelin star restaurant or I can go to a pizza place that has cold beer and great mozzarella sticks and love it. Um, But I also, on the Basque side, um, uh, Bargainica. I mean, that's just like getting Mm. an Estrella beer and a chorizo sausage and some potato croquetas. I mean, it's, or salt cod croquetas. I mean, it's, it's epic, but we're just, we're actually just kind of getting out. Went to Alavita last week. That was great. Love that place. Um, you know, we did, uh, uh, I think the food at 10 barrel is phenomenal Mm -hmm. when we can't decide where to go as a family, we go to 10 barrel Hmm. because they have, you know, my wife loves the pita and hummus plate. Their wings are epic and the, the kids menu stuff is great. So that's always our, something for everybody place. Um, and the beer is really good. So nice. Awesome. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. That was so interesting. We're not going to try and do any reality stuff. So thanks for that. <laughs> and if you do have it come across your plate and you're thinking about doing it, call me and I'll help. Okay. I'll have an, inter- I'll have an intervention. <laughs> awesome. All right. Final call to action. If you could encourage anybody to take an action surrounding grilling this summer, guys are going to grill. What do you want them to do? Uh, do something that makes you uncomfortable. Um, and, and focus on one thing and get good at it. Like I was saying before steak, um, I bought the same ribeye steak from the same butcher once a week for eight months and cooked it on the same grill. And it's like, they always talk about the Boston Celtics, you know, back in the Larry Bird days, they knew the soft spots in the floor where the ball was going to dribble slightly different than in another spot of the floor until you know your grill that well, don't stop. And, and limit the number of variables. So don't be like, oh man, I want to get good at grilling steak. So I'm going to do a ribeye today on the direct side. And that didn't work out well. So now I'm going to try uh, a flank steak on the indirect side. Pick your favorite steak, cook it the same way, and make small tweaks until it's awesome. Love it. Perfect. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having me. Awesome. All, All right, right, guys. Bye. The Boise Bubble Podcast is sponsored by Volkswagen of Boise. Interested in buying a Volkswagen in the Treasure Valley? Head to www.volkswagenofboise.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. This is the Boise Bubble Podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave a five-star review. Follow us on Instagram at the Boise Bubble. And for more information about our community, follow at Hello Meridian. See you next time.